happy to see you and welcome you to Providence Church. You are here. A special welcome to folks who are joining us online. We have a great group of folks that uh, join us every 11 a.m. service online. So we are all together and uh, thankful that, that each of you are here. I want to say a special welcome if you're here for the first time. Uh, we, um, we'd love to have you uh, as our, our guest here today. And if you're here for the first or second time, we haven't met you, when you leave today outside these doors, there's a place that says welcome guests. And we have a gift there for you we'd love to give you. If you're online, you'll see ways that as guests you can indicate you're with us and we would love to follow up with you as well. It's been a, a great year, uh, maybe my favorite year of preaching here at Providence Church. We've been walking through uh, the same book of the Bible, the book of John, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. It's called the Gospel According to John, which means the good news about Jesus, according to one of Jesus' friends named John. And we've just been walking through that week after week after week. So if you're new here with us, uh, we're so thankful you can pick up with us. Uh, there'll, there'll be nothing you need to know uh, coming before, but I just wanted you to know what we've been up to. John chapter 13 is where we find ourselves today. And I want to begin with reading you for uh, the first verse of John 13. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want to focus in on this place where it says that Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus loved them to the end. So we understand that uh, in this verse that before Jesus came to the world, he loved the world. Uh, while he was among his disciples and while he was among us in the world, he loved us. But this says he's going to love us to the end. If you've ever wondered, like, how far does Jesus' love go? Uh, how long is this going to last? It asks to the end, or another verse says to the uttermost. Like, how far does Jesus go? What can separate us from the love of God? This says nothing. He loved them to the end. That kind of love that, you know, just can't be stopped. And it reminded me of, you know, the feeling, uh, do you remember the feeling that you had the first time that you, you fell in love or when you really fell in love with someone? Some of you need to act like you do remember that, okay? Just, uh, you know, you remember that? And so what do you feel? What do you feel when you fall in love? You feel like this is never going to end, right? And what I think the feeling of falling in love really is, is like nothing can stop this love. Nothing is ever going to stop the feeling that I have right now. I remember when um, I first fell in love with my wife, Rachel, we were um, in high school, we were, we were 17 years old, and um, she did not, we didn't have the same timing of like falling in love, you know what I'm saying? So it didn't all line up, but it was like, for me, that was like small detail because I was, I was in love. I was like, well, nothing's going to stop this. It's never going to end. It doesn't really matter. Uh, she also, uh, another detail is she also had a boyfriend. I was like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't care. What, these, are, these things don't matter, you know? How could it matter when you feel like this? How could, how could any of that have any impact? Have you ever felt that? When you're like, this is not going to end. Nothing can stop this. And so those details didn't really uh, frustrate me that much or uh, deter me. And there, I remember this one night, it was in that season of when our, our love for each other hadn't matched up yet. And I was in downtown Nashville with my buddies, I was 17 years old, and this will give you the year or so, but I got a page on my pager right down here on the belt, you know? So I, <laughs> I looked down and uh, it was Rachel's home phone number. I'm like, okay. So I went across the uh, street there. I still remember where I was, it was a pay phone. And I called up Rachel and she says, uh, she says, Jacob, I just broke up with my boyfriend and I want to talk to you. And I was like, 
somebody's in need of some comforting. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is the moment I've been waiting for. I don't even remember if anybody had ridden with me downtown. I have no idea. I know I jumped in my car, 1986 Honda Civic. I went as fast as it would go, headed east, back to Mount Juliet. I pull into her driveway. Rachel is sitting on the front stoop, like sitting on the, on the front steps. And I was like, this girl can't even wait for me to come and knock on the door. You know, and I pictured us like both getting up and meeting each other and grabbing hands. It's kind of sort of spinning around uh, in the front yard. But, um, she didn't get, she didn't, that didn't happen. She didn't get up. And, and so I just walked, I sat down next to her and she said, Jacob, you, she's like, and we've known each other our whole lives, you know, we're best friends. She's like, I know, she's like, you've made it really clear how you feel about me. I'm like, yes. And she said, and that's why I wanted to talk to you because we broke up and I just wanted to tell you, I'm not going to date you. And I thought, I was, I thought, you could have told me that on the phone, you know, me, like me and my boys are downtown. And um, hmm. so I got back in my car. What else do you do after that? You know, I got back in my car. And this is why I'm telling you this. I never felt this. My love was the same. Like I'd been rejected before by girls multiple times. Um, and she had just rejected me. And I got in the car and I was like, whoa. I, I still love her the same. Like my love was not changed. It was undeterred. And so I'm driving home and I'm thinking, I'm not giving up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue this girl. And uh, just for the young fellas, like there's a fine line between that and stalking. So you have to, you kind of have to find the balance in that. And um, maybe it's not the best example, but I think that probably everybody here can relate to the feeling of loving someone and circumstances and actions have no effect on that. Parents, right? You love your kid. You love your kid. And it's hard for them to even understand that. It's like, it doesn't matter. You know, you, you can do this. Uh, you can go there. You can go far away. It's not saying it doesn't affect your heart, but it doesn't affect the love. You're just like, I love you. I love you. Nothing is going to stop my love. Some of you are in marriages in, in the seasons that are really hard, and the other person, they can't even understand what you're saying, but you're like, you don't get it. I love you. I know you're in the pit. I know you're going through this. I know you're distant, but I love you. This isn't, I love you. Some of you have a friend like that, right? A really, a real friend, a good friend. And um, you, might, you might say to them, just go away. Like, how long are you going to listen to me talk about my depression? How long are you going to listen to me talk about my mess? And they're like, I love you. Sorry, you know, I, I love you. It's not going to be uh, affected by that. So some people get worried about the story with Rachel. Like, what happened? We got married. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> she came to her senses, right? It all worked out. Um, so don't, get, don't focus too much on that. But uh, Jesus is going to love you to the end. He's going to love you to the end. You're like, I've, 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 I ran away three weeks ago. It doesn't matter. You're like, I, I haven't been around in 30 years. It doesn't matter. Your actions won't stop the prevailing purpose of Jesus' love for you. The, the, the language there in the Greek of to the end, it actually means, it doesn't mean like till you die or to some period of time. It means to completion, to the, the fullness of it, the, to perfection. It means that the love has a purpose that will be accomplished. 
That's what it means to be loved to the end. And that's what Jesus does. This is the scandal of the gospel. This is the scandal of grace. This is the thing you're like, whoa, that doesn't make sense. Are you sure? It's like, yeah, well, the scandal is you don't deserve it. And I don't deserve it at all. But it doesn't affect his love. The whole thread of the Bible is about this love that is running after you. It's pursuing you. And it's not going to give up. And so there is no distance that you can run. There is no amount of time. This is the good news. None of that. None of that can affect the prevailing plan of Jesus' love coming after you. Nothing. Verse 2. <laughs> the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So if our first point is, Jesus is going to love you to the end, the second point is, and the devil has some plans at work. He does. Like, this is the moment, um, you know, in the first verse, some other language says, Jesus is about to be glorified. Jesus is about to come to his moment. This is like the, you know, the penultimate moment of the whole Jesus story about what's going to happen next. And while that's happening at dinner, the devil is working a plan in the heart of one of Jesus' disciples. And the plan, I'm not going to talk about the devil's plans much today. It's not worth the time, but I want you to understand that it doesn't, it's not even in the same universe uh, as the plans of Jesus. What's the plan of Jesus? God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to die for you, right? And so it, it, it's, the devil's plans aren't going to prevail, but they are convincing. That's what you need to know. You will be in this life at a dinner. Jesus is wanting to work a great thing in your life, and the devil's tactics are convincing. They're tricks, and they play on the most insecure parts of us, the most vulnerable places of us, the wounds that we've been gone too long, the hurt, all that kind of stuff. So while Jesus is about to do this amazing act, he's preparing for the act that saves the world, the devil is at work in the heart of one of the disciples. Verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. I want to look at this for a minute. It's a fascinating verse because what it's saying is that Jesus knew that all the power of the Father had been given to him. Jesus was not waiting to figure out what God's plan for his life was. Jesus was not hanging out thinking, I wonder how this is going to go. Jesus wasn't thinking, am I going to have enough to get through this? No. Jesus knew, see it? He knew that he had all the power. He knew where he'd come from, from God, and he knew where he was going. So imagine if you had all the power and you knew it. You had all the power from God and you knew it. You knew where you come from. It's very important. He knows he's going back to God. So he's not thinking, sitting there thinking, oh no, what's going to happen if this happens, if this happens? No, Jesus knows the plan. He knows he's going back. So imagine if you had all the power in the world, what would you, what would you do? We're told Jesus has all the power from God. So, next verse, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. This is what he's doing with all the knowledge the knowledge that he has all the power from God. Next verse says, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around him. Jesus had all the power. And he got down on his knees and he wiped every foot and toe of his disciples. 
when Jesus knew he had all the power, what he chose to do was get on his knees and move around the room before the meal and clean his disciples' feet. In those days, when you entered into the, a Jewish home, uh, into the home of devout Jews or even just culturally what was happening there, when you walked in, there was a pitcher of water, a basin, and a towel. And so when any guest entered the home, the first hospitality offered to the guest was the washing of their feet. It's something that we're not used to, but they walked on roads with their feet exposed, dirty roads, grimy roads. Imagine when it rains, they come into the house, and the first thing that happens is um, the servant of the home, sometimes a slave in those days, or definitely the lowest ranking person in the family would have the job of cleaning dirty feet. And so we don't actually understand why when they come into the upper room, the disciples don't have their feet washed by a servant or a slave. Were they not there? Were they renting the room and it was their responsibility? We don't know, but we do know there was a pitcher of water and a basin and a towel. So they would have been sitting around. Every time they went into someone's home, their feet would have been washed. So here they are, you know, 26 some odd dirty feet sitting in a room and everybody's looking around like, who's going who's gonna wash to the, wash the feet? Five days before this, they had been in the home of Lazarus. And when Jesus had come in, remember, his feet were washed ceremonially by Mary with the most expensive perfume that any of them had. It was worth a year's wages. They watched her wash Jesus' feet with her hair, enough that they wrote it down in the Gospels that we have it today. But when they went into the upper room, nobody was willing to go do 12 pairs of feet except Jesus. We are told that this was the hour before he was glorified. So there's no question about who was the highest ranking person in the room. There's no question. He had all the power from God. And the highest one became the lowest one and washed the feet. Why? It was a demonstration of his love. It was Jesus showing you them, I am going to love you to the end, to your, to, to, to your dirty feet. There was something coming after the cross that this was sort of precursor to of how Jesus would lower himself. But in that moment, this was Jesus showing them his love. The only thing that leads to true love is true loss. I'll say that again. The only thing that leads to true love is true loss. There is no love without loss and without sacrifice. When we have these little babies born, we're like, oh, my gosh, I've never felt this way before. I've never felt this, what? This kind of love I've never felt. And then what do we do after that? We lose. We lose time. We lose energy. We lose resources. We give and we give up and we give up and we don't even think about it. Why? Because true love involves true loss. In a marriage that works, people are sacrificing over and over and over and over again. Giving up, giving up. Humbling, humbling. It's the only way that love works. If you have a friendship and, and you're not quite willing to, to really lose for each other, sacrifice some of you, you think like, I've got these friendships, it's really frustrating me. They're not person's not willing. Well, that's not love. Young people, I would talk to you, if you're in a romantic you know, relationship and you're like, you know, this person wants to wow me and impress me and do all these things, but they're not really willing to give anything up for me. That's, I don't, it, it's a relationship, but it doesn't have, that's not love. So love always involves true loss. I want to take a moment and I want to encourage you, okay? I want to encourage you because I, I have some sense of the family of God here, okay? I want to encourage you. Um, parents of, of young children, 
or especially children who have uh, uh, special needs. You're giving and you're losing and you're pouring that out. Husband who's taking care of your sick wife right now or wife taking care of your sick husband. Adult child who's taking care of mom or, or taking care of dad. Teacher, middle school teacher on Tuesday, you're going to go back into that middle school classroom and right now on Sunday you're thinking, I don't have anything else to pour out. Teenagers, you've got all this drama in your, in your friend group and all this stuff, and you're wondering, can I continue to pour myself into this? Here's the encouragement, guys. As you continue to pour out, as you continue to lose, as you continue to sacrifice, you get to take on the full nature of the true love of Jesus. You embody it to your kid. You embody it to your husband. And as we, the reason I'm, what I'm trying to encourage you is to say, you're going to make it through this. And the way you're going to make it through is not by taking more power or clinching and pulling more back, but by actually by pouring more out. And as you pour more out, you, get to, you receive the love of Jesus. You embody it, and that's what gives you what you need to get through it. All right, so let's see how the disciples respond. The next verse uh, says this. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Imagine it. Jesus is going around. He's washing these dudes' feet. And Peter's thinking, I'm not so, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replies, understand, they're like best buds. You know, they're close. He says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you're going to get it. He's trying to get, look me in the eyes, Peter. I know you don't understand the foot washing thing right now, but later you're going to understand. He knows what Peter's tendencies are, right? He knows what Peter's thinking. And here's what Peter says. Peter says, no, you will never wash my feet. What's Peter doing? You get it, right? He's saying, no, Jesus, you're my king. You're my master. I've given everything for you. I've laid it all on the line. And there is no way that you are touching my feet because it's supposed to be the servant that washes the feet, not the master. It's a beautiful kind of expression, right? But we also sense that Peter's missing it a bit, don't we? There's two things that are going on that I see here. There's probably a bunch more, but there's two I want to point out. The first is... Peter is saying to Jesus, I'll give you all of this, but you can't touch my feet. We do this with God, right? Peter, who is more all in than Peter? He, nobody. But Peter's saying, I don't think so, Jesus. This is too far. This is too much. You're not touching my feet. And sometimes we do that with God. We're like, I'm all in. I'm all in. But no, no, no. That's for me. Uh, not for, or that's for somebody else to deal with. Not for you. First thing. The second thing is this. Peter is proclaiming with his life that Jesus is his king. When he says, you can't wash my feet ever, he's saying, Jesus, this is not the role of a king. But what Jesus is trying to show Peter is servants don't get to tell the kings how they're going to behave. And what we often do is we're like, I want you, God. I love you, Jesus. You're my king. Um, but only if you behave in the way that I think a king should behave. Okay, God, you're everything to me, but, but when you begin to contradict how I'm wanting this to go, I'm not going to let you do that. And Jesus is breaking down that barrier in his disciples' heart to say, you don't get to tell the king how the king behaves. Remember last week we talked about when old Samuel was talking to the people of God. They said, we want a king. We want a human king. We want a human king. Samuel's like, you don't want a human king. Human kings do all these, these kind of things. Because if you get a king, you have to receive what that king is going to give you. Once you take on the kingdom, okay? But what we do is we say, uh, Jesus is my king, but he's going to behave the way I want to. He won't do that, okay? And that's why Jesus answers. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
Jesus saying, no, 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 no. I'm the king, and I'm getting to tell you how this relationship works. And unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And here's Peter's great answer. He says, "Uh, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Shortest argument ever, right? Peter is defiant and definitive. You will never touch these feet. And Jesus is like, if I don't touch your feet, you got no part with me. He's like putting his head under the basin, right? It's a beautiful picture of how we can behave when we realize the enormity and the grace and the love of Jesus. When we get to see that he's going to love us all the way to the end, we may have been carrying some things around in our lives, holding some things back. You're not going to touch this. You're not going to touch that. But when we really get it, when we really see Jesus saying, no, I'm all in, man. I'm, I'm, all, I'm washing the feet. When we hear it, we say, oh, yes, I want to, I want to pour everything out. And Jesus receives that. You see, that's the, that's the real good news because what would a human do? They would say, a minute ago, you were rejecting me. A second ago, we were arguing. A, a, another person would condemn or use their own power. And Jesus says, okay, buddy, I'll put water all over you. And where Jesus is, um, is leading is to the cross. And people don't like to talk about the cross these days. They want to talk about the blood of Jesus. But here's the deal. Jesus washing the feet was a precursor to that he was going to lower himself all the way, go to the cross, have nails through his hands, through his feet, shed his blood, because Jesus' purpose was not just to come and have people feel good for a short period of time in life or get them out of a mess. He came to rescue us from our sins. He came to save us, guys, save us from the brokenness of humanity. We've been studying the book of John and we see Jesus go to a woman at the well. It was intentional, it was purposeful. He says to her, I have living water for you. He says, you have had five husbands and the man you're with right now is not your husband. He's pointing out that he has something bigger that he wants to save her from. He encounters a royal official and says, your son is healed, now walk in faith, walk in faith. And he does it. He goes to the pool of Bethesda. There's a man who's been laying on the ground 38 years. Jesus finds him out of, it says, the multitude of invalids who were lying on the ground. What is Jesus doing? He's specific and individually loving these people to the end, but it's not just so they can stand up and walk. It's so they can be saved from their sins. That's the purpose. And in this verse, uh, Jesus says this. He says, "Um, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So as we receive what Jesus has given to us, he says, and you will be the ones who lower yourself in the world. This is totally upside down from their culture and ours. Just like it is now, power was power. Might means right. Take what you can get, do your thing, be the one in power, all those kind of things. And Jesus is saying, this is not how my kingdom works. I am the master, I am the king who gets on his knees and serves because that is the thing that unlocks true love and Jesus purpose was to come and love and rescue the world <laughs> so he doesn't care how we act you know he's not like having to fit in to the way our society works it's like I'm doing this my way because my way is the thing that unlocks the power and the redemption so in every Christian there is this kind of throne and cross um, conflict that we go through A.W. Tozer talks about it in a beautiful book about the cross I want to close with this quote okay This is in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. 
no cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. So with that statement, I wanna pose to you a couple of questions that we'll uh, close with. The first is this, what part of your life are you still withholding from Jesus? What is it where you're like, don't touch my feet, please? And are you at a place where you would say, I wanna, I wanna go all in, my head, my hands, my feet. And then the second question is, to whom do you need to humble yourself today? I, notice I didn't say like, uh, how should you humble yourself? I'm saying to whom? Most of us probably have someone in our lives who we say that we love and we do, but now is the time to lower ourselves. Where you're thinking, how am I gonna get through this conflict? How am I gonna get through this mess? Why don't you try the Jesus way where you lower yourself? To whom do you need to humble yourself today? Let's pray. God, as we ponder these questions, would you show us the areas where we might be still withholding something from you? We want to be all in. We want to walk with you. But when we really look at it, we say, I've been holding this for mine. as something that you can't touch. And so with all the courage um, that your spirit can give us, God, we pray in prayer now, we could release those things to you and say, okay, not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well. And if you're working uh, in our hearts in this, God, would you show to us, would you bring to our mind, uh, bring to our heart, the person to whom we need to humble ourselves so that we can follow Jesus' command to wash others' feet, to love one another as he has loved us. And as we come to the table of communion, we pray that broken bread would be Christ's body for us. These cups of juice would be Christ's blood and that we would receive what Jesus has offered to us on the cross, which is full salvation, full redemption, full power. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you're helping serve communion, I'd like to invite you to come forward now to the table. Also, the ushers, if you'd get in place. And what we're gonna do is called Holy Communion. You're gonna be invited forward in a moment. You'll be given a, a small cup of juice and a little piece of bread. And uh, just receive that in the name of Jesus as a way of, a way of receiving Jesus. If you're here as a guest, we want you to know that you're welcome to come to communion. You do not have to come. You're welcome to stay in your seat. I just want you to know if you want to receive the Lord today, please come. Online worshipers, uh, in this time, we invite you just to commune with God, sing along in worship or have quiet prayer, uh, but engage this time fully as a way to connect with your Lord. Everyone is welcome. Let us come to the table.